episode 112 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm Jonathan Hafes, and I am joined in studio by my co-host, Brad Brown, and I'm joined via telephone by one John Mark Darrow. How are you, gentlemen? Doing all right. I uh, am at home right now. The reason I'm on the phone using this technology is because both of my children came down with the flu on Sunday night. And we have been at the house recovering. Um, I'm happy to report they're doing much better today. So, Uh, Well, we're glad they're doing better as well, man. We really, really are. Um, I mean, I am. I don't know about Brad. He hasn't said anything. I'm glad, for the record, <laughs> and I'm glad you guys are feeling okay. Well, gentlemen, we yeah. have we have quite the lengthy episode today, so we're going to skip a lot of our normal banter and jump right into some things, and actually, for funsies, it won't, it won't become apparent why we're doing this until later, but for funsies, we're going to do everything out of order, so just hit a button, Brad, and let's see what happens. That's right. That's, that's not the right button. That's the button. Everyone needs to know that Brad is over at the board, and so the ridiculous amount of applause is, is his own doing and his fault. All right. This is a totally different experience over the phone, I'll oh tell you that. Oh, my word. How obnoxious is it? Is it more or less obnoxious than in person? It's more. It's more <laughs> obnoxious. All right, Bradford. All right. Well, I have a book that I have just freshly read. I guess that's the right way to say that. Recently read, sure, freshly sure. read, fresh on the mind. It's a book whose title might surprise you, but it's a book that I'd say this might be one of my favorite books that I've read in the past year. This book really caused me to do some deep deep thinking and reflection. The book title might surprise you. It's titled For Shame. You might not think that's a... Uh, a book that's going to do real well. Uh, the book is titled For Shame. It's got a subtitle, doesn't it? It does. Rediscovering the Virtues of a Maligned Emotion by Greg Tinselhoff, is I think how you say his last name. Sure, sure. So he is a philosopher. He's a Christian, and he's a philosopher at Biola. He had to be a philosophy professor with a last name like Tinselhoff. <laughs> that's right. It's and just his destiny. That's right. And so he writes, shame is bad. Too often it cripples and silences victims of other people's shameful behavior. And research has demonstrated clearly the damaging effects of shame on our emotional well-being. In recent years, a mini industry of best-selling books, TED Talks, and popular therapies has emerged to free people from shame. And yet, a place for shame remains. Some behavior is shameful, and sometimes we ought to be ashamed by wrongs we've committed. Eastern and Western cultures alike have long seen a social benefit to shame. It can rightly cultivate virtues, both public and personal. What are we to make of shame? So, I don't know if you're intrigued at all by that little description on the back, but uh, Tinselhoff essentially in the book wants to distinguish between what he calls a uh, toxic shame and a healthy version of shame. And 
He asks the question, if shame is an emotion that we should completely and totally rid ourselves of and never feel, then why is it a bad thing to be someone who is shameless? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. interesting, interesting, uh, interesting thought there yeah, for if, a conversation. If people want to get a better idea of whether or not like they want to buy the book or kind of some of the contents that uh, you can find him doing some lectures and stuff like that on YouTube. You sent me one and it was really helpful. That's right. That's right. So I, th I think in this book uh, you'll find his definition of shame, the way that he talks about shamed uh, along with other emotion, emotion, other emotions, other emotions such as uh, guilt, embarrassment, self-loathing. I think you'll find all of that uh, very helpful. So check it out for shame by Greg. Ten Tinselhoff. Awesome. Yeah, I, I want to read it. I want to read it even more after I watch the. Uh, mm. I, I forget where he was. Was he at DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary? I, I think he was. Doing I believe like a, so. He was being he's, interviewed. Yeah, it he's, was a lecture. He's done a few interviews and yeah. talks at seminaries. So, yeah. Anyway, all right. All well, right. Let's keep going out of order. Let's take a trip down to the email corridor. What is email? John Mark, you have got to come back soon. I, I, this is the last time you can sit in that chair, Brad. All right. Um, well, we did receive one email, and it is pertinent uh, to the episode today. It comes from a regular writer, I would say, into the email corridor. One, Tanisha Garnier. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The subject says, hey, hi, hello. The email says, hey. I had an exclamation point. I was just trying to make it really come across. I felt like you communicated that well. Hey! Listening to the most recent episode, and I paused to send this. Y'all mentioned doing an episode about the Batman movie. If y'all don't invite my husband, that would be one Victor Garnier. If y'all don't invite my husband to share his thoughts, I think he might cry. Also, I'm a bit salty I didn't get a pour-over invite. And she gave me three, like, frowny emojis. Okay, back to listening. Happy weekend! Another exclamation point right there. Anyway, okay, all right. Well, two things to address here. So first, the pour-over invite. So I can't speak for John Mark. I'll let him defend himself. But Tanisha, I feel really bad any time I send something to, like, Shades members where it's like, hey, will you sign up for this? Or will you subscribe for, to this or whatever? Because because I feel like... We have been scammed in the past. Well, yeah, one, yeah. Yeah, there have <laughs> been uh, scams that have gone out like they look like they're from my email address. Um, but not only that, I, I feel like there's, like, this added pressure. It's like, oh, the pastor, like tried to get me to sign up for this this news. So I just pressured my family. It wasn't that I didn't want you to know about the pour over, hence why we talked about it on midweek. I just I didn't want to pressure anybody. Except my family. Mm. I feel totally fine about pressuring them. Anyway, JM, do you wanna you wanna defend yourself? Well, I will say that after I read Tanisha's email, I actually did send her a referral <laughs> on the pour over so Jonathan defended and himself, and you repented. Is that what we're learning here? I did, and and actually, uh, up until today, I actually don't know if she has signed up or not. Oh, so, oh wow! So it's back in her court. We got to check that out. So the onus is on her now. That's right. You've done your part. Just That's for right. every, just so everybody knows, I I thought the pour over was only an email, but John Mark alerted me that it's also in podcast form. So that's ah yeah. yes, and that's how I engage yeah. it most now. Anyway, okay, wow. back to the other thing. Uh, Tanisha, I'm I'm very sad to say, but uh, you're going to need to grab some tissues for Victor. 
Um, at, at some point, maybe we'll have him in to to share his thoughts. But or he can always send us an email. Maybe that's right. That's right. He can because he's part of the conversation. But at the time at which we uh we discovered this email, there were already too many wheels in motion. <laughs> The episode was planned. Guests had been invited. Yeah, flights uh, had been booked. All it, of that. It yeah. was yeah. The the ship had sailed, and hence why we've done things out of order leading into this episode, and we have saved uh, the the most pertinent one for last. So, well, what's that one, JM? You got an album of the week? JM's I do. Album of the What are you doing? Sorry, I, I just wanted to do the thunder. He's really thunder happy. He's very thunder today. happy. Yeah, so today's album of the week is the Batman original motion picture soundtrack, the new Batman film that just came out starring Robert Pattinson and Billy Kravitz. The soundtrack was composed by Michael Giacchino. Yeah, I like him. He's a great composer. He's done a done, done a number of soundtracks and other things. I highly recommend it. I can't play any of that for you right this moment because I am we're currently using our Bluetooth connectivity so that I can be on this uh, podcast episode. But maybe you could sing I a will. few lines. Oh. <laughs> I could have sworn you just played the soundtrack. Yeah, like an angel. Um, so, uh, but the soundtrack is really, really, uh, really, really cool. And like most Batman movies, it's, it's dark and, uh, just really, really helps to paint a picture of Gotham city and that whole world. So, uh, it's a great, great soundtrack to a great, great movie that we actually talked about, uh, with a very special guest. And that is what you're going to hear on today's episode. And by the way, it is a spoiler-fueled uh, episode. So <laughs> if, you have not, if you have not seen the Batman yet, then I would not listen to it. Because That's right. it is full of spoilers. Unless you don't care about spoilers and you want to learn about the movie and go into it, I, knowing stuff. Well, I, I don't think the podcast will make any sense if you haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, All right, well, let's dive right in. I don't have a button to push or anything. Yep. Nope. Here we go. So this week on Shades Midweek, we have a very special episode dialed up that we kind of teased a couple of weeks ago. As a matter of fact, when we teased it, I don't even think we actually had thought of doing it. I think it was the, the Big teaser, surprise. The we teaser that made us it. do it. Yeah. So this week, we're tackling a very important topic. We're going to do nothing but talk about the Batman. That's right. Not just the character, but the new Batman movie, which is called The Batman. And I wonder how many people stopped listening. <laughs> just at, quit. Just right they now. They just tagged out right now. At this point. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't have. That's right. They shouldn't have because not only do we have keen insights into this film, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but we have brought on – I. this is definitely 
the the biggest Batman expert that I personally know. Definitely a Batman expert. Yes, absolutely. Not only a Batman expert, but somebody from the Annals of Shades history. That's right, a former Shades member. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you live from somewhere in Georgia, the one, the only, Caleb Stallings. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> oh, now for those who don't remember... Uh, Caleb went to Beeson Divinity School. Was it uh, Shades? The whole time he was there, served as an intern while he was here. Yep. He's preached at yep. Shades before. Led community groups. And even if you don't know him from any of that, you do know him if you've ever listened to a sermon podcast uh, because he's the voice. He's the official voice. Yeah, that says the following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church. Yeah, that's, that's Caleb. Caleb, thank you for being with us. Oh, man. Thank you guys for having me. This is a lot of fun. I haven't talked to you all, and, and uh, not all together, at least, for some time. So this is like old days. Yeah. Good I know. stuff, I, man. You know, and, and Caleb, to be 100% honest with you, I really wish we'd have had you here in person and just kicked Brad out of the booth <laughs> because I'm actually slightly offended that we're going to allow him to participate in a conversation about a comic book movie. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I was thinking, um, Jonathan, about that. When Brad and I started at uh, Beeson together back in 2012, so almost 10 years ago, and uh, I remember, you know, we were all trying to find friends, and you know, most of us weren't um, local, and so we moved from someplace, and so we we're finding friend groups. And Brad fell in with us, and we dragged him to Kingdom Comics over in, uh, I guess that's Vestavia Hill. Yeah, and he was uh, I think just that's suffering. Where it is. Oh man, I remember he was like taking pictures like he was at a zoo. Like he just couldn't <laughs> believe the people that were walking around. I was like, How much is this? You're about to spend what? <laughs> we were like showing him how to like look through old uh you know, pull boxes and stuff like that. And it was it was a foreign world. Oh, my word. I mean it it would have probably like made more sense if we went to like some ancient, you know, site in Egypt and started going through a cave that would probably would have seemed more like normal to them than going into this dusty comic book store searching oh. for treasures from years gone by well dude i'm so excited to have this conversation because i obviously hanging out with brad never get to nerd out about comics with jm <laughs> i at least get to nerd out about comic book movies a little bit because he's a movie buff um yeah right but but i used to get to nerd out with you on occasion for those who don't know um Compared to Brad, I look like an insane comic book nerd. I do have quite a collection, but I was a Marvel guy. Spider-Man, my biggest thing. But compared to Caleb, I look like Brad. <laughs> Caleb is a true... You just look like a dumb jock. Right, right. <laughs> Caleb's a true comic nerd and a DC guy to boot. Yeah. How many comics do you own? Oh, man. Um, not as much as I used to. Um, you know, with everything going digital now, um, it's, uh, man, I just, I, it's so much easier if I hear about a series that's interesting or want to pick something up to just, you know, turn on the DCU uh, Infinite app and then just, you know, read stuff that way. Oh, my god! I mean, I have probably at least several thousand and, uh I mean, I have a bunch of graphic novels, too. I, I, I don't collect like I used to. Okay. Um, in fact, I sold a bunch just because I, I didn't have room for stuff. And I realized, oh, man, this is, you know, this, this stuff I had was like never going to be super valuable because there's just so much of it. And it's like nothing particularly interesting in comics lore happening at that point. So I've sold a bunch in recent years. But 
I guess. It, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I guess it makes sense that in this digital age that even comic books are affected by all the technology Dude, that we a, have. It's uh it's like a streaming service now, basically. That's like cr- you can I had pay, no idea. You can pay a monthly fee and basically have access to everything that a company yeah, puts out. I, I mean, I know Marvel's done this for a long time. Uh, and then DC's just jumped into the game, gosh, maybe three or four years ago. Uh, but it's interesting. They release stuff only on that platform now. And, uh, you know, a traditional, when you're reading a comic book, it's like, you know, it's like a regular book shape where it's uh, it's not like a landscape orientation. But since that's how most people, you know, if you're reading on a screen, you're used to looking at a screen in kind of that letterbox format. That's actually how they format comics now for uh, digital only releases. So that's been kind of an interesting development. But And that's the yeah, content I, we are here for, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Wow, yeah. That was fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh man oh well if anyone ever wants to see i was just thinking listening to you talk about your comic collection I'm like man i should either sell mine or give them to my children i have i know how many i have not to the exact number but it's right at 2000 i've got about 2000 issues of various spider-man comics mm. but people don't understand this like in the 90s there's like a big boom uh for comic book stuff because they killed off superman and that was just like an unheard of event at the time that's right and so they published all these special editions with foil covers and you know and everybody thought this stuff was going to be worth a lot of money but what they didn't realize is that collectors items for anything is it's um rarity and uh uh, scarcity and then of course demand so (laughs) people that have like you know uh, Savage Dragon, some 90s image comics thing that nobody really reads or cares about anymore. And then there's, you know, 200,000 of those available. Those things aren't worth that much. So I would say probably a vast majority of comic books that people own, you know, they're, you know, just have fun with them. Enjoy them, read them. Don't, don't be too precious about them because most of that stuff's not ever going to be like, you know, you're not finding uh, some rare jewel uh, that you you can send your you sell that and send your kids to college for four years. No, it's just maybe at most going to be worth four or five bucks. So just enjoy it. That's my that's well, my recommendation to most people. Well, now that Caleb has dashed all of my hopes for you know my <laughs> retirement. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the content that people are really here for. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what makes Caleb such a great expert on what we're going to talk about is not only his love for Batman and comic books, but also his love for movies and film. And Caleb, you've written some uh, reflecting on films and various themes in films. You've done some theological reflection on films. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure. No, I, I was just waiting for you to keep doling out more compliments. Before <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you have your, your own podcast as well. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of funny you say that. My wife and I started a podcast back uh, last year. You know, <laughs> everybody was going a little insane during the, some of the worst days of the pandemic. And, of, of course, we had the genius idea. Let's start a podcast <laughs> where we just talk about horror movies because we're both big horror movie fans. Um, it's been a minute since we updated, but we've got a couple episodes planned to be released. Soon, I don't, but, I, I don't yeah. mean, 
I don't mean to depress you at all, but as soon as you started talking about having a podcast, I started looking it up. And as soon as you said it's about horror movies, I closed my podcast app. <laughs> <laughs> it no, that's, it's so funny. I have I have friends that say, "Oh, well, we I download the episode, uh, you know, just to drive up your metrics." But I don't listen to all horror movies, so you know, every uh, I guess every little bit counts. So thanks, everybody. I oh. do appreciate it. Am I allowed to say that you are on Letterboxed and that we are yeah, friend, yeah we are friends on Letterboxed, which is like yeah, a, yeah which is an app that I recently discovered like in the last year or so because I love movies and uh, sort of like, it's sort of like social media meets like user film reviews and you get to follow what each friend, like what they're watching and they, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for wow. those who've I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, Goodreads um, yeah. for books, which is owned by Amazon, I think. It's kind of the same premise. But the user interface is really slick. It's really easy to use. Yeah. It's a fun little community where you can, you know, rate movies, put them in lists. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's been great. I, I've been using that for about, I guess, five or so years now. And I review movies, but never seriously. Yeah, I, I love your reviews. <laughs> so sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit more inspired, I might wax eloquent when I think this is a good movie or what works or what's not great about it. But most of the time, I'm just kind of having fun with it. But it's a, it's a really fun app. Uh, it's a fun way to track movies and, and learn about great new movies, too, yeah. that your friends are watching. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the reviews that I really like are j- usually just the good one-liners that somebody comes up with. Those are the, They're yeah. just hilarious to me. So. Yeah, me too. Well, Caleb, we're going to need you to wax eloquently about a film review today. So let me try this one more time. So what <laughs> we're going to talk about today... <laughs> Oh, smooth transition. Yeah, I'm going to throw it over to JM, our okay. resident movie buff, and he's going to guide this convo for us. Okay, cool. So I'm just going to read the Wikipedia entry that I printed off a few minutes ago. Here we go. The Batman. That's, which the, is way, the, that's the way we prep here. That's right. Um, the Batman is a 2022 American superhero film based on the DC Comics character Batman. It is a reboot of the Batman film franchise. The film was directed by Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves directed some of the uh, recent remakes of Pl- Planet of the Apes. Which I saw. Yes, I saw one of those. I didn't see... Yeah. Uh, I guess there's two. There are two of them. Is that I, I won't get us off track, <laughs> but I think the last one, War of the Planet of the Apes, is a great adaptation of the Book of Exodus. And that's all I'll say oh, well, okay. about that right now. And if you guys ever talk about those movies, you can have me back. Okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to rewatch it with that in mind. I've I've seen those all. Yeah. all of those. Uh, I've yeah. just I just watched the original Planet of the Apes last week. So yeah, um, yeah. So the film was directed by Matt Reeves, who wrote the screenplay with Peter Craig. It stars Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, Batman, alongside Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano. Jeffrey Wright, John Tachuro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, and Colin Farrell. The cast is incredible. We'll get to that. The film sees Batman, who has been fighting crime in Gotham City for two years, uncover corruption while pursuing the Riddler, a serial killer who targets Gotham's elite. So here's a little bit of the, just a little background on some of the development we sh- we should probably say at this point spoilers from here on. Oh yeah, hundred yeah, percent. We are so going if, to talk about the movie yeah, in depth, and yeah. everything will be out on the table. If, so if you if haven't you, seen it yet, yeah, stop if you it. hadn't seen it, you should stop now and 
if you hadn't seen it, the rest of it probably won't make any sense to you. Right. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Development began after Ben Affleck was cast in Batman in the DC Extended Universe in 2013. Affleck signed on to direct, produce, co-write, and star in the Batman, but had reservations about the project and dropped out. Reeves took over and reworked the story. He sought to explore Batman's detective side more than previous films, drawing inspiration from the films of Alfred Hitchcock and the new Hollywood era, and comics such as Year One, The Long Halloween, and Ego, which I know nothing about, and I'm assuming, Caleb, you know about these comics that I just mentioned. Uh, I, you know, I haven't read Ego, but I, I know the other two. Okay. Um, it is intended to launch a Batman shared universe with two sequels planned and two spinoff television series in development for HBO Max. Okay, just a couple more things and then we'll open up some discussion about some stuff. So uh, Reeves knew early on that the film would draw from Batman The Long Halloween and its sequel Dark Victory, uh, which features Batman hunting a serial killer who would reveal uh, this cooperation between the people who are legitimate pillars in the city and the criminal element in the city. Now, are those comic books? Yes. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, he decided to use the Riddler after noting parallels between the character and the Zodiac Killer a costume serial killer who operated in California in the 1960s. Reeves reread his favorite Batman comics, but did not base the film on a specific storyline. Um, we mentioned Year One already was uh, one of the comics that he took particular influence from. Bruce, okay, here, so here's some fun stuff. In portraying Bruce Wayne, Matt Reeves wanted to depart from the traditional playboy and socialite because he listened to the Nirvana song, Something in the Way, as he wrote the first act, he decided to base Bruce on reclusive Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain. He took inspiration from the film Last Days, which features a fictionalized version of Cobain living in a decaying manner. And then it talks about some of the other influences he took from movies like The Godfather, The French Connection, things like that. There's a lot of really, if you read the entire Wikipedia entry, it is so much fun just to see like all the influence they took from previous films. Well, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but I was really proud of myself. I'm going to pat myself on the back. When I was watching the film, I was like, this feels like it has some Hitchcock vibes Yeah, throughout uh, the movie. Yeah, they, and, lots of film noir vibes. And especially in an interview, with the he, talked about, aspect. he talked about Hitchcock. And yes. so I felt good about myself. The Wikipedia entry goes real deep dive, so I would actually... It's a really good place to start just to kind of read about a lot of the backstory and a lot of the films that inspired even different characters and the way that they made the Batmobile and things like that. There's a lot of really cool behind-the-scenes information on it. So, the Batman. Let me, let me start with this, uh, Caleb. I'm going to shoot this to you real quick. This is a little fun conversation. Hopefully it doesn't derail us for 30 minutes. <laughs> um, Caleb, this Batman movie is a Halloween movie. How excited does that make you? <laughs> oh, man. Um <laughs> I, that was great. It's like both of my main interests of like horror and Batman coming together. So uh, that was a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I, I can't help but think too, and, and this is just my theology brain turning on. Uh, if there is anything that we were supposed to see symbolic about, you know, Halloween, because this takes place over, 
I think from Halloween to November 6th. Yes. And there's a lot of like, you know, traditional Christian holidays in there, All Saints Day, All Souls Day. And so I was wondering if there was any, you know, if, if Matt Reeves, I actually don't know his you know, religious background, if he was aware of that or was trying to tap into some of that sort of uh, sacred imagery there. Uh, but that was, uh, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. Well, I mean, and, I, uh, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was just saying, oh, uh, I, I definitely think he is. I mean, the, the stinking movie opens with Ave Maria, which, and, and it's, and that's echoed throughout the film. And, yeah. and, and there's a couple of reasons I think for that. Uh, and we can talk about that later if you'll want, if we get into soundtrack stuff and all of that. Um, but, uh, I mean, start, starting with Halloween and just the character arc that he puts Batman on, you know, from Batman starts with like this Halloween-esque type horror figure, even the way he emerges. I mean, it's not just the, ha- the, the, the holiday Halloween. The movie echoes the Halloween movies with Jason Meyer uh, and all of that. Like there are several, you talked about movie inspirations. There are several things from that. Uh, that are are echoed down to the way the the Riddler is first introduced in his entrance is very similar to the Halloween films. Um, I only know this because of other breakdown videos that I watched. I've never watched the Halloween films. We've established <laughs> that I hate horror films, but but so e- even the way the Batman is introduced in the way he enters, like all of the comparisons that are drawn between him and the Riddler, very much are like are these characters the same um, kind of thing is the, is the question that kind of keeps getting asked. And you see Batman's character arc moving to establish uh, and for him to see himself and how and and to distinguish himself and how he is different. And so I think there's this move from him fitting in with Halloween to moving more towards this, like, you know, if you want to say like All Saints Day, seeing himself as like a martyr sacrificed for the hope of the city kind of thing. So I definitely Mm -hmm. think there's some of those uh, religious overtones and vibes going on. And I I. Uh, again, I don't know anything like you, Caleb said. I don't know anything about Matt Reeves' uh, personal religious convictions or or not, but I still think those themes have got to be intentional. Like, there's just too much there for them to not be. Down to the biblical imagery of the flood and baptism and blah blah blah. We can talk about all that if you want to later. Sorry, I'm very excited. Oh yeah, and then even the explicit, you know, the sins of the father will be visited upon the the sons. So yeah, he's definitely drawing some of those things. What the intention behind those, I can't always tell, but I think that's that's interesting. That's interesting reading of it. Well, I heard Reeves say in an interview that he, that he was constantly thinking about human nature and questions about human nature are throughout the film. And so I think that was very intentional. He also mentioned seeing Batman as kind of this psychological thriller and this is getting off a little bit but one of the things i thought was so interesting is pattinson as a young batman is uh i think trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing like he why is he uh uh in this role as batman uh how is he to go about uh redeeming delivering the city so on so forth it's like he's trying to figure that out in the midst of it yeah and and the beginning when you first meet him you get a voiceover that you find later is uh him keeping a journal so he's like you know keeping record of how the progress is going i think he labels it as the gotham project you know and Mm. so he makes a big point about i don't even know if i'm making a difference you know crime 
uh, murders, drug overdoses, all this stuff. Um, and then at the end of the movie, uh, we get sort of a mirror reflection of that where he's another voiceover and he says, I see how I've made a difference, but not the way I expected. We don't have to jump into that yet. But I, I think to everyone's point so far, what always is really interesting about the Batman, um, the character is that usually uh, it is such a, um, uh, when he works best, he is um, represented as this kind of interesting foil in human nature. Um, or or um, you get to see the dualities of the, the human mind or soul in Batman. And you see that with his rose gallery, you know. Um, you know, he, here's Batman. He's really dark, brooding, serious, but he's on the side of good. And this famous supervillain, Joker, is like happy and chaotic, and but he's evil, you know. And so you see all the uh, the best Batman stories are usually where he is up against a character that is in some sense like him uh, or a mirror reflection or some sort of twisted uh, inversion of him. And the Riddler in this movie is great too, you know. They, uh, uh, I mean, we're, I guess we're already in spoilers territory, but you find out Riddler's backstory is that he's an orphan too, that he just didn't come up in the same, you know, he was, he was, had no parents, grew up in an orphanage, poverty, crime, all this stuff. And you see how he is outraged similarly at the corruption in Gotham, like Batman is. Uh, but their, their paths take them, uh, to very different places. And that's, I think, usually, why Batman movies work um, or the character works so well. I think because we're just really interested in seeing that duality, you know, of good and evil in ourselves or, or under the different circumstances, how might we have come out differently or, or the choices that we make um, about how we respond to uh, evil in the world uh, problems, you know, are we going to rise up and be heroic or are we going to, just sink into the mire of it. And so the, the, I think that's part of the reason why this movie works so well is because you have so many of those mirror images reflecting all throughout the movie that really make it, right. I think, kind of a, a, an interesting experience. Yeah, well, and the movie is definitely pushing that theme itself because, I mean, when it gets most blatant in your face uh, is the scene in which Bruce Wayne is discovering uh, what happened with his father and Carmine Falcone and uh, which it's really hard for me to say because in all other Batman movies he's Falcone. called Falcone. Um, yeah, <laughs> they finally figured out how to pronounce it. Uh, no, it's because they wanted it to sound more like Falcon um, for that whole yeah. bit. Um, but uh, but when he's finding out about his father, like Falcone says to him, "You'd be surprised what even a good man like your father would do, put in the right situation." And, yeah, and and that's yeah. that exact theme that's being pushed forward is like when you find yourself, you know, in that situation, which path do you take? Do you take the path of the Riddler? Do you take the path of the Batman? And and for our main character, the Batman, it's kind of like almost asking the question which he's he he's going to take as you go through the movie because it does draw those parallels constantly, um, not just with their backstories of like both being orphans, but even kind of in really. Um, practical ways that they're telling the story so the movie opens with you seeing things through a pov of the riddler you're seeing through his mask yes um yeah. and like his view into the apartment of the person he's going to murder you get the exact same thing later on yep. with batman you get a pov shot of him looking into selena kyle's 
uh, apartment. Yeah. Uh, even the way they designed the costumes, um, like the masks look a little similar uh, kind of thing. Uh, they both keep journals. We mentioned the journaling mm-hmm. earlier. Like they're doing this, pro- they're both on a project to like cleanse Gotham, if you will, yeah. and they both keep journals about it. And I, I I would be interested to know this from you guys. Um, so I've watched the movie twice now. How many times have you guys watched it? Twice. Twice. Caleb? Uh, I, uh, three times for me. I watched it yesterday to make sure I was up to date. <laughs> Do some homework. Do some homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a commitment. It's a three-hour film, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, I enjoyed the movie so much more my second time through. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it my first time, but I enjoyed it more my second time because I knew that the Riddler thought of himself as be is is working together with Batman and was actually genuinely blown away that Batman didn't see it the same way. Yes, I felt mm-hmm. like I was able to understand him a lot more the second time through the movie of how he would perceive of him and Batman being the same, thinking the same, and having the same goal in mind. Um, so. Anyway, all right, that's all. Yeah, yeah. that's all really insightful. I think you're right on the money with that, Jonathan. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the Batman Lego movie. The whole the whole premise of like Batman not wanting to, he sort of like dismisses the Joker, and the Joker gets really sad because he always sees the Batman as almost like his best friend, you know, and, right, and Batman right. sort of like <laughs> pushes him away. And uh, it's, it's kind of, that's sort of the more funny aspect of that. Okay. So on the, on the topic of Batman and Riddler though, uh, here's something that I want you guys to talk about a little bit. So we are introduced to Batman <clears throat> for the first time. There's this really cool, like subway scene with this gang that s- reminds me of this Underneath movie. Underneath the bridge. <laughs> there's this, uh, <laughs> so good. There's this movie that came out in the late seventies called the warriors. And it's this really cool, like kind of New York grimy film where there's all these gangs and they're fighting each other. And it's a lot of fun. The movie is just a ton of fun. And you okay, Caleb, you back it, you, you back <laughs> yeah. it up, Caleb. Uh, yeah, I'm, there's a, apparently a school bus uh, outside my house. It's not sure where. <laughs> I didn't know if you were managing kids. a forklift while doing yeah, the interview. Yeah. Anywho, yeah. Uh, so it, I'm it, a manager at Home Depot. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> right, he's getting some pallets down right <laughs> yeah. now in oh, yeah. uh, aisle one. Okay, um, yeah. yeah. So it reminds me of the Warriors, and you have this gang. And anyways, Batman shows up for the first time, and I. I you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I've only seen it twice, but I believe that's where he says. That he is vengeance. He says, I am vengeance yes. for the yes. first time. Okay. Yeah. So there's this thread throughout the film of vengeance and justice. And these things are used in a way where it's it's almost like the Riddler likes to think of himself as the one that is bringing justice to the city of Gotham. Yeah. He is uncovering... Real uh, corruption. He's uncovering very real corruption from the top down. It's, it's systemic corruption throughout it's it's beyond just one individual but it has poisoned the entire system right uh from the mayor to the to the da the city council uh police just just the whole thing right the entire system's poisoned <laughs> it's all connected <laughs> you can just hear it yeah which he literally i i loved it so much that batman actually sa- i don't know if y'all noticed that he actually says that in the film it's all connected <laughs> So, but you have these interlocking themes of almost like Batman at first 
viewing what his acts are as vengeance in some way, bringing vengeance, uh, and the Riddler kind of viewing his acts as justice. And I just kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on these these themes of vengeance and justice in the film and sort of the way in which, you know, maybe what the Riddler is doing is a form of justice, but maybe it's not the true, like, restorative justice that we would see um, as Christians because in the ways that he's doing it, he's almost it's almost like the movie seven uh by david fincher where you have this serial killer that is kind of acting out these things because these people have committed these seven deadly sins and so he's taking justice uh, on himself to do to do these things so what i don't know what are you guys' thoughts on vengeance and justice in these films well i mean i, I i'll just jump in uh i i think that this is one of the primary thematic arcs of of the entire film and it gets really explicit at the end where you actually and this ties in more to biblical themes where it's actually like okay we've got to move from a very narrow definition of justice just as retribution for wrongs to a more redemptive holistic view like there's mm-hmm. got to be some kind of redemption involved mm-hmm. and what batman ends up saying at the end because you know he says, I'm just a, I'm vengeance, sorry, yes. right there the first time you meet him. And that's a thread throughout the whole film. Yeah. He gets called vengeance. Catwoman so, I calls I love the fact Selena that was like her, na- her nickname vengeance. for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, and uh, the Penguin calls him vengeance, too. Yes. Interesting. Yes. To, to the point where I wondered, do people think his name is like, Do they not think it's Batman? Is it, no, I, I, think, I, I think that was Matt Reeves just going, okay, I get well, that this is three hours, was, and I can't let you forget this theme. It was also Matt yeah. Reeves going, the, the original title, the working title was Vengeance of the film. Oh, so he was nice. probably working that in as well. Obviously, he had yeah. that in Anyways. Well, I like it that the title actually changed to the Batman because that yeah. allows kind of more for, okay, how do you define the Batman as Vengeance or as justice kind mm-hmm. of thing like like I, I actually like that a little mm-hmm. bit more but uh so so you get that working throughout the whole thing and then huge spoiler uh in the climactic battle scene one of the uh basically riddler's fanboys i don't yeah. know another way to call it who's involved in his final act of violence repeats that refrain to batman like says i'm vengeance and it's kind of this moment of clarity for batman and what he says in his final voiceover is that he realized he has to be more like, in other words, yeah. vengeance on its own or just ret- retributive, that the way you say that, justice on its yeah. own, like, isn't enough to actually bring about change. And what he, what he talks about the most is hope. Yes. Uh, and what you get symbolically in that final scene is almost like Batman, instead of, like, being the shadows, being the night, like, he actually provides light to people to show them the way out of the darkness. Do you mind if I read the quote because I typed it up? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Go down. ahead, read it. And it's, it's actually, there's two parts that I really like. There's this, he does this voiceover dialogue at the end of the film, and then in the middle of his voiceover, uh, Real, I believe is how you pronounce her character's name. It's spelled real, but... Yes, for real change. Right, exactly. Uh, she has a little <laughs> speech, too, where she goes, uh, "We will re- we will rebuild... But not just our city, we must rebuild people's faith in our institutions, in our elected officials, in each other. Together we will learn to believe in Gotham again. And then Batman continues his voiceover after that and says, I'm starting to see now I've had an effect here, but not the one I intended. Vengeance won't change the past, mine or anyone else's. I have to become more. People need hope 
to know someone's out there for them. The city's angry, scarred like me. Our scars can destroy us even after the physical wounds have healed. But if we survive them, they can transform us. They can give us the power to endure and the strength to fight. Obviously said better by Robert Pattinson. Yeah. But I do my best. Yeah. So he... <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, so he moves from like, I'm primarily out here because I'm against something. Like I'm against the criminals to I'm primarily out here because I'm for something. I'm for these people. And and that's the final thing you get. The final thing you get of Batman is not him fighting criminals, it's him helping people. Even yes. to the point of that being reported on the on the news, like uh, Gotham's masked vigilantes out here helping people up kind of thing, you know. Um and, and you see that you see that final shot on the news in Arkham with the Riddler watching it. And that's the final juxtaposition, I think, of here's the difference between these two characters. Uh, and the difference isn't that pursuit of vengeance. The difference is, uh, is is hope and redemptive hope. Last thing I'll say on this, and then, Caleb, you can go on uh, to whatever you want, but just some of the, the visual symbolism they did for this um, at, at, the, at the end. Um, you know, the, the Riddler's plan ultimately is to virtually destroy and kill as many people in Gotham as he can. He blows up the seawall in order to flood the place. And again, you're getting biblical imagery of a flood of judgment. It's judgment day, right? But instead of it being that, it becomes more of a redemptive baptism to the point that Batman, right after he hears that criminal say, I am vengeance, yeah. and he has his moment of clarity, the very next thing that happens is he drops into the water like in his own <laughs> baptismal moment yeah yeah is submersed and comes up and lights up a flare <laughs> to become a light and like leads it's a red flare yeah. and he leads through the people waters. through the waters that look like a freaking red sea <laughs> Yeah, like he's Moses leading yeah. a redemptive I mean, movement. There's like, that aerial shot above where like, he's clearly up front. It's, like, it's beautiful. Like it's yeah. one of those moments where I'm like, "Dead gum, Matt Reeves, are you this clever, or was <laughs> some of this accidental?" That's why I said that his War of the Planet of the Apes is the best adaptation of Exodus I've ever seen wow. because it is it taps into some of that. Yeah, something about that uh, leading the way out of darkness through light, through water, through travail. Yeah, he's into that theme very clearly. And uh, Jonathan, you're stealing all my thunder here. Yeah, that's like such a great interpretation of that, I think. Um, yeah, and I think that's ultimately where the movie goes toward viewing what justice actually is. It's not just uh, retributive. It has to be restorative. Yeah. It has to, uh, in some sense... Um, Fleming Rutledge talks about this in her book, The Crucifixion, um, the importance uh, in um, South Africa of the truth and reconciliation um, uh, uh, event where all these, you know, these terrible crimes that happened during apartheid were brought out into public light and confessed and there was able to be restoration and forgiveness. And that's a costly thing. And, uh, and I think that's the, the, the way the movie is going to distinguish how Batman is different from the Riddler. Because up until that point, functionally speaking, there's not a lot of difference between them. Right. Uh, Batman has a no-kill code. Uh, mm. So th there's a little bit of that, but the, if, that, it's got to be more than that. R right. Um, to well, be 
Oh, I was just going to say, I, I felt like they established that really well, but left you kind of asking why. Like that, the moment he has with Selena Kyle where she wants to kill, I forget the cop's name that had, had killed her friend. Um, like, like that's kind of the moment where like you, you get the biggest stress on his no kill code, but Selena yeah. doesn't understand why, and he doesn't have a good answer for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. Or, you know, there's also that uh, 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 um, scene where they're going into the orphanage and uh, he's with Gordon and uh, he says, no gun. And he says, that's your thing, not mine. And right, it, it right, just right. kind of, you know, it, you, you get this sense that he feel like yeah, he's trying to enforce a rule that he himself doesn't fully understand mm. um, or or he's just not. I mean, he hasn't come to his own as Batman yet. You know, he's still figuring out who he is and why he's even doing this. Yeah. Because uh, early in the movie, after that voiceover, you know, and he says, I, I'm not sure I'm making a difference. Um, he says to Alfred, you know, he says, I don't care. You know, if I don't make a difference or if I don't make a change, I don't care what happens to me. Um, so you, you see the character uh, development going from sort of just a nihilism. You know, it doesn't matter. Why am I even doing this? going through crisis and then coming out the other side with like belief in people and uh, in society, you know, uh, <laughs> however misplaced we might think that is. Well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to totally sound like a counselor, but you know, I was talking about er uh, earlier about him not really knowing why he was doing what he was doing. And I mean, it, it feels like there's this sense in which he's acting out of, <laughs> the childhood trauma that he was experiencing with the death of his parents. And he uh, probably in some way blames himself for that death. He doesn't fully understand it. And it's almost like he doesn't know what else to do than to be in this role and to uh, help the city or to try to do some sort of good. And so kind of this idea that you can't lead people to somewhere that you haven't gone yourself I think is interesting in the film and his own sort of understanding of his past and how that shaped uh, his present. And in some ways kind of coming to peace with that in the film and that being the grounds and understanding of his identity. Yeah. I was going to say that I think Matt Reeves, uh, you bring that up, Brad, about trauma. There's a, actually a featurette on HBO max. Oh my gosh. Uh, some extra scenes and well, not extra scenes, but it's like these extra featurettes that they put on HBO. There's Mac. so much content. So much content. Anyways, it's like a few minutes long, but it's Paul Dano and Robert Pattinson, and they're actually talking about the two characters' traumas. Oh. Uh, the Riddler's trauma and Batman's trauma, and how they both acted out and responded in different ways to those traumas. So that's a very real thing that the director uh, was zeroing in on with those characters for sure oh, yeah interesting yeah well I, i've got two thoughts on on this right here you just talking about you know him having to learn how to deal with his own trauma being a part of his character arc like again mm -hmm. reeves just does a brilliant job of of showing that in a very real way through uh the character of the mayor's son so the very first thing that yeah, happens in yeah. the film is the mayor is murdered and his son, uh, his little boy, is the one who finds him. And you get this connection between him and Bruce right there at the yeah. beginning. And uh, and then there's the, other, funeral. there's the funeral, there's the, where they connect again. But I don't know if you noticed, but at the very end, right where Bruce goes through his baptism, I was talking about lights up the flare. 
that kid is the one he picks up and carries out. Of, so yeah. it, and it's almost this image of him carrying himself yeah. out of the darkness and into the light. It's very much a, a picture of his I'm glad life. you noticed yeah, that. That's I was good. going to ask. I thought that's who that kid was, but I, I wasn't totally sure. So I didn't know if that was just me making a connection where there wasn't any, but no, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that no, out. No, it is. I, I, I noticed in the, the my second viewing of the film, like they – purposefully mention that the the mayor who who died that his wife and son are at that event like it gets mentioned on the news they're at that event to show solidarity mm. for the city like they they kind of put that in there to make sure you know who that is mm. um but but yeah so and so, that i think goes towards that overall theme too of what does true justice look like so here are these two uh uh mayoral candidates that are at odds with one another and uh, and at the end, you see them setting aside their differences to come together. And that's an important uh, that is an important move, I think, for the movie to make to say this is not vengeance. This is justice. And that's tough. Justice is tough, you know, to to uh, to um, put your ego, to put your self on the line and, 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 and to reconcile in some way in order to move forward for the greater good. Um, but I, I think that carries some of that theme too in the background. Mm. And one of the things that I love is that he's able to do all of this without any flashbacks. Right. And I mean, that's so yeah. common in films. You almost, you're waiting for it. The character is in the midst of something and then it zooms in on their face and then boom flashback to childhood and there's some sort of scene and it's become really common. I've read some articles that have kind of critiqued this as like the trauma trope. It's kind of just being overdone, mm. but it's yeah. really cool how he's able to bring in so much backstory without, I don't think there's one flashback uh, in the entire film, maybe through like uh, some news stories uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, or something I, like that. Well, but I'm, I'm personally just glad we didn't have to watch his parents die again in another movie. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, really, how can many we times just... are we going to have to watch those pearls? So, those pearls so of Martha. Many, so many times, Caleb, and I just we've seen it. We know what's going to happen. Can we just move yeah. on? Okay. So, so yeah. all right. So, so yeah. I may, I may be my first contrarian, uh, my first contrarian take right here. Oh, good. No, no, no. Because I've got, I've got. Uh, I've got mixed feelings uh, about about this. So on the wow. one hand, I did very much enjoy the fact that we didn't have to endure another Batman origin story, but that Matt Reeves found a way to virtually tell you the origin story without telling, like for, you got to see how that had affected Bruce and see even kind of him as a young kid yeah. through the eyes of this yeah. mayor's uh, kid. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was really, really well done. The one place it hurt me, in the movie, in my viewing anyway, and I don't know that there's a, we'll probably get into critiques later or what have not, because so far it sounds like we all think this is the most perfect film ever, which I do love it, and I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, do have some thoughts, some critiques. Uh, but the one place that hurt me uh, where I lost emotional impact in the movie uh, was in Bruce's feeling betrayed by Alfred. I didn't have like like what builds the emotional bond between an Alfred and a Bruce in the movies is a lot of that kind of flashback material where you get this like 
father-like connection from Alfred to Bruce. And I just, I don't know if it's because I didn't have any flashback stuff. Like, like so for instance, in the, uh, in the Christopher Nolan films, what makes this massive emotional connection uh, is this scene that you, you get uh, of Bruce as a young kid where his dad tells him, and why do we fall, Bruce? So that we can learn to pick ourselves back up. And and Alfred is privy to that, and it gets picked back up by Alfred later. Like, there's just a lot more of those kind of tie-ins and connections. Whereas, like, when Andy Serkis nearly dies as Alfred in this film, and you get kind of this emotional connection between him and Bruce in the hospital, it just didn't hit me as hard. Uh, right yeah. there, and and maybe it's just because I didn't I didn't have enough Alfred. I don't know how in a three yeah, hour movie I didn't get enough Alfred. But well, there's also uh, Michael Caine in that role is a bit warmer. Right, he's a warmer yeah. Alfred, and mm-hmm. Andy Serkis is a like we like you said we don't see as much of him, and just him as an actor, you know, obviously he's often his, the villain, isn't he? Well, he was Gollum, and you know, yeah, he was the, you know, so uh, I think just considering all that, it's like I kind of look at him and I think of Lord of the Rings, and I think of him <laughs> I, in that role. Well, no, I, I liked him in the often. role. I liked him as an Alfred. I, I just, did, I did. Too. I just didn't get enough of a connection between the two of them to feel the weight of the betrayal and the weight of, of him almost, almost dying. But now, but yeah. now, now I'm getting nitpicky. Well, what do you think, Caleb? I, I'm going to bring in a little bit of, uh, I think, some comic book background here, since that's why I'm on the show. Finally, uh, a, a few, <laughs> a few years ago, there was a story that came out called Batman Earth One. And essentially, it's set in an alternate reality. And uh, listen, we all know how Marvel movies work, DC movies. There's different Earths and realities and all that stuff. So I, I don't think I have to explain that. But in Batman Earth One, it shows kind of a young novice Bruce Wayne. And Alfred in that story is kind of a gruff military dude. Like he was in MI6 or whatever. And uh, it was like a sailor. I can't remember. And so he's got some military training background. And so his relationship with Bruce is more of a, um, like a mentor and uh, a mentee to, to, for lack of a better word of like where, where Bruce got some of his training to be, you know, this tough crime fighting vigilante was from Alfred. He was like one of his instructors. He just happened to also be like, a close family advisor. And I think maybe that's some of where the inspiration for this uh, Andy Serkis uh, uh, performance came from. Cause it, he, he did mention somewhere vaguely uh, that he had some military background or something. Right. And then he, uh, so, also, so, uh, well, he, he yeah. also, he also almost sounded like he was more than a Butler. Like he was like a bodyguard uh, for, yeah, for yeah. Thomas Wayne. Cause he oh. mentioned it being his job to protect them. Yeah, and so I definitely think they, you know, just the background of this Alfred is probably a little bit more gruff and not as, um, you know, not as grandfatherly as, say, Michael Caine was. And so also, I think, to your point, Jonathan, the first time we see Alfred and Bruce talk, they're kind of at odds with one another. You know, from the very beginning, like, you get this idea that they have a strained relationship. Um, and so, yeah, you don't really get to see that develop. So that's kind of a different take on Alfred, too, um, than, than we've seen in previous movies. And that, that's probably why uh, some of those scenes with Alfred didn't strike an emotional chord with some people. Just because, it, I mean, it really, like you said, didn't build up that, that familial kind of bond between the two. Right. Though, 
one of the favorite scenes I had for for Alfred actually was him solving the Riddler's cipher or working on the Riddler's cipher uh, at the uh, at like the breakfast table, like he's doing yeah. the New York Times crossword yeah. puzzle. Um, yeah. Which actually, th- this came up. This is not my insight. This I saw in a in a breakdown video on YouTube. Uh, but they said was you, you know, John Mark. You talked about how the Zodiac Killer was one of the inspirations. Um, two of the Zodiac Killer's ciphers uh, that were solved were solved by people because they published the cipher in the paper, <laughs> and so it was like solved yeah. at the breakfast table. So they said that that was kind of oh, like interesting. inspiration for that scene. Since we're talking about specific actors and characters, and and John Mark, you mentioned the difficulty of seeing Andy Serkis in that role because of his other roles. So. The actor that was that way for me uh, was Carmine Falcone. Um, what's his name? I forget. John Tichero. Yes, yes. I thought, so as a performance, I thought it was a great performance. I thought he did yeah. a fantastic job. I just had a really hard time getting his com- more comedic roles and things like that. So the first thing I remember seeing him in uh, is Transformers. And I had a really hard time getting that out of my head. <laughs> Well, I John Turturro was the first time. That was the first time you seen him. That I remember. Yeah, wasn't yeah. that him? I don't know. Well, I don't I, know the Transformers movies that well. Uh, and then he was in Severance most recently. Right. And, I and so I remember him from to. The Big Lebowski, and he is hilarious in that movie. I, I also remember him from a, a Coen Brothers movie, but um, yeah, Barton uh, Fink, brother, oh, brother Arthur, yeah, oh, brother Arthur. Yeah. He's been in a lot of Coen Brothers films. So he he's always kind of been like you know dumb guy hitchman hit in mind <laughs> so it's kind of funny to see him in different more serious roles because it's hard not to associate him with uh oh gosh i can't remember that character's name no brother where art thou but yeah <laughs> yeah you know, yeah it's a, it, yeah i feel like another character to talk about is is penguin Oh, you mean oh. they mean the actor we don't know who who played him <laughs> because he doesn't look like. I, I'm surprised that I haven't read more about his performance because I, I think it's one of the most engrossing character performances in the movie. Like by and by and away, the like most one of the most interesting things that's been done by anybody. Um, I, yeah, I just rarely see anybody talk about. They'll talk about Riddler, Batman. I but agree. I thought his performance was it was wild i just couldn't believe it was him even yeah, when i watch it he, now dude he knocked it yeah. out of the park man like he i mean obviously the the prosthetics and the makeup help transform him into that role in the fat suit and all of those things but oh my goodness i mean just to, he doesn't even sound like Colin. oh i know you can't i can't even hear well, him well what's funny is it's it's like all right we need a, an italian american gangster let's hire an irish dude no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that that's yeah, andrew yeah. thompson's big critique and he's yeah. not here to defend himself, but he's like, why did they get Colin Farrell and have six hours of makeup? Why didn't they just get yeah. someone that looked that part? Because he killed it in the performance. He Who did cares a very about good the job. optics as much as the performance? Yeah. I agree. Well, I, I thought he killed it. I'm curious it. if what y'all think. So I was listening to the director talk, and he's like, even with all the prosthetics, like I could still see Colin coming through. And I'm like, I can't see that at all. <laughs> Like sometimes I get a glimpse of it in the eyes, maybe, but most right. of the time it's like a it's like a person that I've never seen before. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt the same way that there was maybe one or two shots where I could kind of see, but honestly, that that helped me because it's the yeah. opposite of what we were talking about with yes. uh, John Turturro. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, I, and I feel the same way about uh, Heath Ledger's performance in 
the Dark Knight, there's only a few oh, yeah. times where I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's Heath Ledger yeah. completely. I see his face right there. Right. Um, yeah. Most of the time, though, I'm like, dude, it's just the Joker. Right. You know. So yeah, so. and I I like the backstory with Penguin being kind of a like mobster. I mean, Caleb, yeah. you can speak more to that. I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not fully developed yet either. Yeah. He's, he's sort of like this sidekick kind of guy that is not really fully taken seriously yet, and he hasn't kind of reached. Which I guess they're going to make the uh, what the spinoff series or whatever kind of with him was hit yeah, with, with his H- character. Yeah, I, I love. You know, that. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think uh, the Penguin has been, I mean, I, I've seen him in stuff where he's got like a Cockney accent, where he's got a posh sort of American accent. This is the first time I've seen him kind of like, hey, I'm walking kind of accent, you know. Uh, and, and, and so his and his character background is always just so, it's just so amorphous. So I liked the aspect that he was like a low-level enforcer for Falcone that's moving up the ranks. Um, but where some people speculated about this, um, the next Batman movie they think is probably going to be inspired heavily by a series called No Man's Land. It's essentially the story is like Gotham gets hit by, first of all, some sort of a <laughs> plague. So like a COVID-19, but more serious. And then, uh, and then they get hit by an earthquake and they essentially just abandon Gotham to its own devices. And it becomes like it's not even part of U.S. soil anymore. And so, uh, and all everyone's going to be like, this is too so on the nose. So it's kind of like a escape from New York meets like Mad Max or something like that. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, essentially. Yeah. That's, that's how it is. I mean, it's it really like, it's, that was one of the first comic series I read when I was a teenager, when I was starting to get into the comic side of Batman. And it's, it's really a pretty phenomenal, uh, story. I think it holds up even today, but I think people are, are thinking that. Uh, if we see Penguin again, we're going to see him as um, a guy that's grasping for more and more control over Gotham, kind of like a Michael Corleone in The Godfather, yes. where he's just descending the ranks of yes. evil. Uh, and so I, I think that'll be an interesting an interesting take on the character, if indeed that's the way they're going with it. Well, real quick, let's go around, because there's obviously a Joker uh, appearance at the end of the film, spoiler and um, who do you got, knowing that there's going to be a next film, personally, who do you wish the villain, kind of the main villain of the next movie, who do you wish that it would be? Do you, do you want it to be the Joker? Do you want the Penguin to kind of uh, be, be the, the main enemy, the main bad guy, the what, main villain? What, what order are we going in? Jonathan, you go first. Okay, all right. Well, so first off, let me just say uh, not only do I appreciate the performance by the Penguin uh, of Colin Farrell, but I really love the fact that he walked with a cane, with a limp. Um, and uh, and I also very much appreciated the waddle they gave him when uh, <laughs> when they tied him up and left him tied up. I thought that was funny. All right. Um, but beyond that, uh, I do not want to see the Joker as the main character for the next film. If this is going to be a trilogy, I'd prefer him to be just get a little bit maybe more of a tease, just like he did in this film. Um, and then maybe you just hear that he's broken out of Arkham or something. But save save him for the third if you're going to bring him in at all. Uh, we've had a flood of Jokers in the market as of recently. Uh, so, yeah, I don't want him in the okay. next film. All so right. who do I want? Um, uh, if I'm going uh, – I'm going to go – I want to see – I didn't know that you could do a really good penguin. Like when I think penguin, I just think 
Danny DeVito and Little Penguins with rockets strapped to their backs. So I would like to <laughs> Which see. I would argue is a great penguin. It's silly, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> no, for the film it was in, yes, but like, you know, do, yeah. so this kind of neo-noir, gritty, sure. Sure. Uh, more realistic, Something grounded, more whatever. grounded. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I would love to see a grounded take on Mr. Freeze because he, uh, yeah, I would just love to see yeah, Maybe he owns an ice cream shop or yeah. something. I don't know. <laughs> is Bra- there a grounded take on Mr. Freeze? <laughs> Brad, uh, who do you wish do, to see as the next villain? I grew up I, on the Batman animated series, and the Mr. Freeze episode won an Emmy. Okay. Yeah, so, it's great. Heart of Ice. It's yes. really that's that's where the modern Mr. Freeze mythos comes from. Also, Harley Quinn as a character comes from that show. So oh, that's it's still that's the right. most canonical Batman in my in my view. Yep. Brad, from that show. Brad villain and then we'll go to Caleb. I, I just go straight to Caleb. I don't think I care. Caleb, uh Based on your previous comment you here? about No Man's <laughs> Land being uh, the inspiration for possibly the next film, do you, do you think they'll take uh, whoever the villain is from that and kind of use that? What do you? You think? know, I, I mean, that's well, they. I mean, essentially, it's like every villain from Arkham it claims it's you know part of Gotham as their territory, and Batman has to try to reclaim it alongside the GCPD. So I, I don't know if they'll do that. I would actually like to see. With this, if this is going to be a trilogy, which I think it probably will be, I would kind of like to see a return of the characters we've already seen. That's kind of that would be a new thing for a Batman movie to do, to have returning villains, um, and not just like a new one for every movie. So you can kind of grow with their story and and see it kind of as a as a grand epic. I think that'd be really interesting. I'm down for that. Uh, Not only that. But uh, they did set up some uh, potential for some villains. Uh, the the um, the uh, journalist that was investigating Thomas and Martha Wayne, which is interesting. I think, to my recollection, I'm probably wrong about this. I don't think I've ever seen a story where Martha is from the Arkham family. Oh, so yeah. There's something interesting about that. Yeah, that, that may be in some... Buried deep in the mythos, I don't know, but supposedly, uh, supposedly on Wikipedia, it says that they got that section from uh, Batman Earth One, the the comic that you mentioned earlier. I don't know; that could just be a Wikipedia. Oh, I you know I may have forgotten that detail. That that's that's very possible. Um, But the 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 journalist that is investigating them, I think his name is Edward Elliot. Yes. Um, there is a character in sort of the newer comic, uh, a guy named Thomas or Tommy Elliot. that was a childhood friend of Bruce Wayne, and his parents were close to Bruce, uh, Bruce's parents. Um, and, uh, and he grew up to be this character called Hush that, uh, like, uh, I think he, like, is a sur- disgraced surgeon or something, and he, like, you know, butchers people's faces, and he walks around with bandages on his face. So I'm wondering if they're setting up for a Hush character in the second one because his father was the guy that was killed by um, was it Falcone or Moroni. I can't remember. Whoever killed this. Uh, oh, yeah, it's Falcone had this uh, Edward Elliott killed. So I could see him coming in as um, another type of foil for Bruce Wayne. Like he's angry at Bruce and his family for having his father killed for trying to you know, bring to light, you know, their, the, the, the Wayne and Arkham City background. So I think we're being set up there. Mm. 
Um, but I'm not sure. And, um, and as far as the Joker goes, I think it would be really interesting, like you, Jonathan, to tease him a little bit more and to save him for the, the third movie. So it feels like there's this, this trilogy doesn't, it doesn't go the way of most film trilogies where you have a good first installment, a masterpiece second installment, and a bummer of a third installment. Right. So I think if it just kept ascending up to that and, and we just kept getting glimpses of the Joker up until that point, that'd be really cool. And I think Matt Reeves said in an interview uh, that he's not even, you know, he's not even guaranteeing the Joker will be in the next one. He just wanted to do that little scene. And then, of course, there's the, the, uh, the, the scene that was cut from the movie where you get to see a little bit more of the Joker's character uh, talking with Batman. So uh, I, I think that would be interesting if they saved him for the third one. But to answer the broader question, I'd love to see Penguin back in some capacity and uh and maybe just a you know a mix of some of the 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 villains of arkham mr zaz a serial killer riddler getting you know another shot at i think that would be interesting just to kind of build the tension between who we've already met i agree i like the build-up idea with the joker let it let it land on the third film if it's going to be a trilogy take take a take a note from like i'm a huge i was a huge uh WCW pro wrestling fan in the nineties when I was a child, yeah. take a page yeah. from the buildup of like Hulk Hogan versus sting and, and just, yeah. and just build it. I mean, just make people wait, you know, till yeah, that, yeah, to yeah. that main event. Um, okay. Real quick, Brad, let's start with you, Robert Pattinson as Batman. How did you feel about him? How did you feel as Bruce Wayne and who is the best Batman out of the kind of Batman film canon that we've seen oh, in gosh. your opinion? Holy cow. This is just a, this so is Brad opinion. just looks like he doesn't want to answer any of those questions. <laughs> well, so the first time I viewed it, it took me a second to get used to Robert Pattinson as Batman. I was a little... Uh, it's not that I didn't like it. I just have... I had Christian Bale in mind because I don't, you know, read comic books or watch TV shows or anything. So that was just kind of the Batman and kind of the vibe that I had. Well, there was Ben Affleck. Honestly, I'm trying to remember what the Ben Affleck movies even were about. Gosh, <laughs> you and everybody that, else. Is that fair, Caleb? I don't know. Uh, I hear your thoughts on that. Uh, listen, I will. I'll say this: I'm one of the few people that says that uh, Zack Snyder got the short end of the stick. Okay. When it comes to uh, how people saw his movies, I do realize they're a little top-heavy and unwieldy, and he could have used a little bit more punch-up on a few of them, but. I still think some of those movies are really good. Yeah. And the, the, the four hour cut of his, the, his four hour cut of justice league is incredible. I think. Oh, wow. That's pretty but, controversial, right? Didn't some people not like it? Yeah. I mean, of course some people well, didn't I like think, it. This is the world. Well, they didn't like the original cut that, uh, that, that came out in the theaters. Right. that was like, uh, just, you could tell that <laughs> it had a lot of production problems. The CGI Superman face. It was just—it was kind of an embarrassing movie. Yeah, in the, ways, the studios meld they they meddled with the whole thing, which is yeah, which is yeah. why it was you know such a bummer. So. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it took me a second, and then I think the other thing that took me a second was—and y'all can disagree with this—but I feel like you don't get a lot of Bruce Wayne in the movie. Like it feels almost yeah. all all Batman, and yeah. he's not this kind of rich playboy out on the town. But the more that I kind of sat with it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 
that someone that's going out all night and yeah. beating people up would probably, <laughs> you know, not be this like uh, constantly out in the town doing interviews, super fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, it's, whatever. It's kind of the opposite of the Christian. You know, Christian Bale shows yes. up. He's like whining and he's got like yeah. multiple girlfriends. He's yeah. out on the town yeah. at the nice restaurants, yeah. and Robert Pattinson's like the mansion is like caving in on itself. He's not <laughs> taking care yeah. of it. He's super bummed out and depressed yes. all the time. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah for so, greasy hair. Just. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, it, so it took me a second, but like the second time that i watched it, i was like oh man i really dig this this is awesome i like this this bruce wayne slash batman that's kind of unsure of himself and, and what he's doing and tortured and you know some people have said emo batman you mentioned it being yeah. to kurt cobain yeah. i guess that wouldn't be emo grunge um, grungy but, yeah. But yeah sort of like a mix between gen z but and grunge i, I think this yeah. is be- this is kind of taking a step back from the question but the second time that i saw it i felt like i was able to really enter into this world and just to kind of enjoy it instead of constantly yeah. playing the comparison game and so brett mccracken wrote an article i always like what he says he about movies but I thought it was interesting because he pointed uh, out the difference between this Batman and then Spider-Man 3, where Spider-Man 3 just kind of puts right before you, yeah, there are all these different universes, and so let's bring it all into the present. And I really liked that movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. But what that did, he noted, is it kind of takes you out of the the universe that the current film is in. And yeah, so yeah. anyway, I, I, I felt like the second time through, I was really able to just sit back and enjoy what um you know the the team had created with this world and so i don't know i don't i don't think there can be a best batman okay i think i think the beauty is kind of in each one no matter you know the criticisms or what have you entering into that world and appreciating it really and, really yeah. you're going to say that there's beauty in george clooney's batman <laughs> you know i was very young when i watched that movie but i'll go back <laughs> and i will find something jonathan thoughts real quick I, I don't even remember what all the questions were. Oh. Just, <laughs> just best. Who, who is your favorite Batman out of the um, films? Well, that we've seen. So, um, I didn't. I I didn't have a problem uh, with Pattinson uh, being Batman. That didn't take me any time to adjust. I think primarily because I don't think I've seen him in much, like other than Harry Potter, <laughs> and that was when he was a kid. Oh yeah. Um, you didn't see Twilight? No. <laughs> I have standards. Um, He's in some <laughs> wonderful films. No, um, he really is a pretty incredible yeah. actor. He's worked with some of the like greatest living directors. Yes. Yeah, he's uh, people really underestimate him. I think yes. maybe yeah. not so much anymore, but they right. have. So, right. Yeah. So I didn't really have a problem uh, entering into to that. And even when he was announced, um, I, I think that uh, again, I'm going to credit Heath Ledger with. Uh, making me never sure of my own hot takes before I see a movie again. Because when he was announced as the Joker, I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And it was amazing. (laughs) So uh, loved him as Batman. Felt the same as you said. Uh, Brad had a very similar experience with his Bruce Wayne. um, Mm -hmm. Because I'm just used to there being a pretty good distinction between the two personas. And Bruce Wayne is his mask. Like, Batman is who he really is. Bruce Wayne is is the mask where he's faking it, and yeah. it didn't feel like he was faking anything. No, yeah. It just it's like okay, well, you're still dark and broody and moody and all that. And I actually think, I, but but 
I was able to appreciate it more the second time, and I think it's because if it is a trilogy, we're going to get more of a character arc with Bruce Wayne as well. I do think he's going to develop more of a Bruce Wayne persona. Um, and I don't know that it'll be the straight-up Playboy persona, but I think it'll be more distinct because you get hints of that even throughout the movie. Like, for instance, at the funeral, uh, the, mayor, the mayoral candidate, Rial, uh, confronts him about not being uh, more of a philanthropist and helping the city. Mm-hmm. And even in his first confrontation with Alfred, where it's basically like, I don't care about being Bruce Wayne at all. Yep. I don't, you know, uh, which I don't know if you caught this. Uh, this was a, a breakdown video that pointed me to this again. But in that first confrontation, Alfred's actually trying to call him into a meeting with their accountants. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. f- <laughs> I watched the honest trailers of this movie. Right, it's right, right. so funny. <laughs> oh, man, I need to see that. But which, which I think is is like both, if you'd been paying more attention to this, maybe you would have noticed what was going on with the renewal fund because that's, yeah, Rid- that's how the Riddler uh, first <laughs> yeah. notices everything is he's an accountant um, working with the renewal fund. Uh, but, but anyway, all that aside, I think there's going to be more of a character arc with, with Bruce. So, so I, pre- I was able to appreciate Bruce more the, the second time through and why they did it the way that they uh, did. I'd like to talk about the Batsuit at some point. I have opinions. Um, but as far as where he falls in the lineup of Batmans, I don't know if I've done a huge reflection on this yet, and I feel like I've got to withhold my final opinion until the trilogy is complete. Uh, but currently, he's he's definitely he's definitely pretty up there. I mean, as far as live-action Batmans, at the bottom of my list will forever be Clooney, followed by Kilmer. Uh, I don't know what to do between uh, Bale and Keaton because Keaton was ba- was Batman for me as a kid, um, and so mm. but but he's up there. He's up there with with those guys. I, I enjoyed it. Caleb, any thoughts? Uh, you know, just one more thing about the in character uh, uh, or rather in movie characterization of Batman and Bruce Wayne. Uh, when he first shows up to the Iceberg Lounge dressed as Batman, when he's confident and 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 that's you know that mode. He knocks on the door and they open up. He says, "You know who I am," or kind of like, "Do you know who I am?" But like confidently, like this is you know I'm the Batman. But then after he finds out that his father may have been involved with some business with Falcone that was un <laughs> that was kind of unsavory, he shows back up to the Iceberg Lounge as Bruce Wayne knocks on the door. Same guys open it and he goes, "Do you know who I am?" Like kind of. You know, because he doesn't even know who he is. Mm. And so I think there's that's supposed to show us that he really is more comfortable as Batman. And then when you force him to be Bruce Wayne, he just does not know who he is. Yeah. Hence the, you know, the kind of just greasy, grimy guy that walks into his, you know, dining room of this, uh, of the sky rise and, and, and puts on sunglasses in the morning. So, <laughs> yeah, so he can just exist in the daylight. You know? Like, did he drink um, too much the night before? Like what? a vampire. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess people just chalk that up to he's a crazy rich recluse. Um, I, listen, as far as like, who's the best Batman and uh, Bruce Wayne, I'm kind of with Brad in this. It, it's whatever the most recent movie I've seen, uh, I feel like that's the best Batman or Bruce Wayne because each of those directors and writers bring their own distinct vision of yeah. who that character is. And for the respective movies that they're in, they almost always work. Mm. So I, I, I have a hard time saying definitively. If I, if I can cheat a little bit here, 
And technically, because this was a movie released in 1993 in theaters, even if hardly anybody saw it, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which was a movie set in the animated, uh, uh, the animated series universe. That's my favorite Batman. The voice of Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne and Batman is just, I mean, it's, he's the ideal Batman to me. And he's still playing the character through like the Arkham series. And I think there's new games coming out where he's still voicing the character, even like 30 some years later. I think he's the definitive Batman. So in my brain, when I think Batman, that's always who I go back to. And I think Bruce Wayne, that's always who I go back to. Um, but I really liked what Matt Reeves did with, uh, with Bruce Wayne, just something very different. The kind of um, reclusive Kurt Cobain archetype, I think is really interesting and, and weird and a super distinct uh, choice for him to make. And I really enjoyed it. So yeah, it's um, a, yeah. Like a tortured, like a tortured artist rock star that just can't grapple with his own, you know, emotions. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, there's something compelling about that, which is why we're always drawn to those types in the first place uh, in music. And so that was fun to see him do that uh, to a character that we would not expect to see. Yeah, he's um, definitely an Enneagram so. 4. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I liked that, yeah. Matt, that Matt Reeves did with this Batman was that his he was able to have a lot more dialogue because of the way that uh, I guess the way that they chose that Robert Pattinson chose to talk as Batman, as opposed yeah. to like Christian Bale, you know, that it's not, it doesn't bother me necessarily, but you know, he was so growly that it was, it's yeah. hard to mm. give that voice a ton of dialogue because it eventually just starts to sound kind of ridiculous after yeah. a while. Yeah. But the way that Pattinson portrayed uh, the way that he was speaking as dialogue, it was, done in this really great manner that worked for a lot of the slower scenes where they're like investigating all of these murder scenes. And it was awesome. It, it made for a really kind of eerie, uh, really slow pace that I really enjoyed a lot. I, yeah. I challenge all of you guys to go back and see some of those scenes where you see just shots of Batman's feet walking towards a crime scene. Go back and try to walk that slow. It's like <laughs> almost impossible. I mean, he's like hovering like a ghost over these people. Yeah. And he, he's, he's so whispery in his scenes. Like yeah. it, it's very like ominous and foreboding. And uh, it, it carries a lot of gravitas to it and a lot of weight. And so, but seriously, like, I mean, he just, he moves so slow and thoughtfully yeah. and right. deliberately. That's, that, that's, you'd be surprised at how, distinct that is from other performances this is one of the reasons i was okay with the runtime because i felt like the movie had the appropriate space to breathe um yeah and and they could take their time with stuff and i was never bored it never i never felt like it was dragging um yeah i I had a complaint early on the first time i saw it about the the kind of third act of the film like feeling like after the death of Falcone and the arrest of the Riddler that like okay our our main two bad guys are done and I kind of mm. had this complaint about that last act and I didn't have it as much the second time I, mm. I felt it a lot more better I still wish there had been a way for the Riddler to be physically present at yeah. uh the the garden center and kind of you don't know which one he is amongst all of the Riddler dress-ups. I feel like that would have put a little bit more weight there. I don't know how to do that storytelling-wise, but that but that's the only thing. But I, I, 
did think it worked a lot better, and and I'm totally fine with the runtime personally. On another note, how does commission? I love Commissioner Gordon in this, but how does he even have a job? I mean, honestly, <laughs> Bat- <laughs> Batman shows up at every crime scene and finds something that no one else has seen. It's like, how do yeah. any of these people get anything done? No wonder there's yeah. so much crime. I know in so this much corruption. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they got the interns doing it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Jonathan, you said you wanted to talk about the bad suit quickly. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so first of all, one one of the things that I did appreciate about this versus the Nolan films, which I haven't watched in a while, I need to go back and watch, but I definitely remember this about Batman Begins, the first one. There was a lot more steady cam in this versus like I remember Batman Begins had a crazy load of shaky cam and you barely even got to see Batman when he fought. And that was the first thing I noticed in the first scene where we're introduced to Batman is you yeah. just see him. Oh, yeah. Like, completely. And, it, and the camera's just steady. It's just one shot. For the fight. Right. Yeah. And so I Almost. really appreciated that. Which is great about the John Wick films, by the way, is that you can actually, like, see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, yeah. The bat suit, I'm still torn about. And, Caleb, you can you can speak to this um, probably better than I can uh, as far as from the comic perspective. So this by far, uh, the mask itself had the largest mouth opening that there's been on. Like, yeah. like you saw virtually half his face. And I didn't know how I felt about that at first, just because it was so different. And then yeah. I was fine with the material the mask was made of being leather. But I did not like the design of the nose piece. I know <laughs> it made him mirror more of the Riddler's mask. But like it was like it looked like he'd run into a wall and his nose was flattened. I like my Batman with a pointy nose. Okay, um, I, I liked the suit from the neck down just fine. I liked the kind of collar piece that went around, uh, uh, almost like a vampire's uh, hood. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. I also did not appre- like the material that the cape was made out of. It looked fake, shiny, plasticky to me. I didn't I didn't like that. All right, I'm done. I think it was supposed to have a feel. I read this on Wikipedia, and I can't remember everything, but I think it was supposed to have this feel of like he's kind of making this all himself and kind of throwing right, it right, together right. In, in a way. So, or like very, I, yeah, I don't know, especially was, with like the way the bat. And you, you see know, that with his car too. It just right. yes, it just looks like he hollowed it out like a old Chevelle or something. Dude, and then just super like, cool. <laughs> yeah, which was great. It, it, yeah, it felt all very. Um, low-tech and improvised and i I think that's intentional it it felt like the batmobile from adam west 1960s thing and and the and the batmobile from uh the christopher nolan films had a baby what i was gonna say is caleb uh have you seen the movie christine the stephen king novel that uh, i guess john carpenter made in the 80s have you ever seen that horror movie before? you know i it's been on my watch list for a while i just haven't gotten around to it yet well, apparently they used the the car from christine as like inspiration oh. <laughs> for uh yeah, this so. batman movie so it's like this mix of like a muscle car and and yeah kind of all this stuff it's pretty cool anyways yeah I, side note, I love the Batcave. I love how they did the Batcave. Oh, like I'm always sun. interested in how they're going to make it the make sense. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, oh, yeah. Did y'all notice sense. they played that right as he was driving in, going under the bridge? Nobody else Yes, yes. That's actually a great yeah. scene. Uh, that's, that scene's yeah. awesome. Uh, okay, real quick, who is the MVP of the film? You can... You can uh, you can say an actor. You can say a character. You can say the director. Who is the MVP? What, who is the MVP of this film? I don't know how you don't say Matt Reeves. I mean, 
It's a good answer. I, I mean, I just feel like when when you're struggling to name an MVP amongst character, costume design, set, uh, plot, yeah. story, shot, like I'm like, okay, well then the MVP's got to be the director, um, because they're yeah. the ones that pulled all that stinging together. So I don't know. Yeah. That, that, that's Caleb, my thought. Caleb, any thoughts? I, I before I forget, I just want, do want to mention if you want to see more of that kind of bat suit in action in the comic. You need to read Joker by Brian Azzarello of Nipper Mayo. That, I think, is where they got a lot of inspiration from. And uh, and then there's a, a new comic that just came out maybe like a year ago called Batman Damned, where it's the same art style, but like I think that's where you see almost that exact same costume used in the comics. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of that costume. I think it's very, it looks very, uh, uh, it's like uh, just kind of a streetwise design, you know. Like it, it looks like a, a crazy guy that went to an Army Navy surplus store and just kind of threw together his own costume. Uh, so that's that's my comment on the costume. Uh, as far as the MVP, I have to go with Matt Reeves. I think he just had a really clear vision of what he wanted to do. You know, it was like you know the Godfather and, and Seven, and and, uh, and then for comics, Long Halloween year one i think he just merged everything together perfectly um and even even having nirvana and ave maria be like the two songs that are like holding up the the matter it's just everything about it's so weird and distinct and yet really familiar and and uh uh and welcomed in that i don't know i just think he just pulled everything together just really marvelously well, and, I, uh, and he I, did stuff that nobody, I mean, I know a lot of people were like, not happy about Robert Pattinson, but I knew when Matt Reeves cast him, I was like, I know he's got something in mind that's going to be really interesting. I, I think he did great with it. So yeah, I, I think he's got to be the MVP. Matt Reeves just seems like a super nice guy. Like, I feel like we would be friends, you know, like, I feel like we yeah. could just go get coffee and talk. <laughs> I mean, he just seems super yeah, nice. I listened to a lot of interviews with him. Yeah, it's, I think it's kind of refreshing, too, sometimes when you have, like, these directors that are, like, very serious about their work but aren't these kind of crazy, reclusive, you know, auteur types. That's a little exhausting and pretentious. <laughs> and, yeah, a guy like Matt Reeves, uh, I think Ryan Johnson that, that did uh, one of the Star Wars movies and Knives some out. other stuff. I, I, Knives Out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that class of, uh, of filmmaker that we're seeing these days. Okay, one more question, and then we'll be done. Caleb, where does this movie, this may go back to kind of a similar question with the bat with Batman, but where does this land in the Batman kind of cinema canon for you? Like, uh, where, where, would, oh, where well, would it rank? This is tough, uh, because I'm like Jonathan. I grew up with Michael Keaton's Batman. Uh, that's such a weird, you know, gothy, distinctive vision. So the first Batman movie is like one of my, I mean, I, it's just so hard to beat that, even to this day, in my opinion. Um, man, I, I well, I, I've said this, and I, I will stick by it. I don't think there's ever, and this includes Batman and Robin, I don't think there's ever been a terrible Batman movie. I think they've all been pretty good for what they're trying to do. Um, and I know people will probably want to strangle me for even saying, oh, Schumacher's movies are good in their own right. Um, this one is definitely like in the upper echelon for me. Uh, it may be that, uh, oh gosh, I don't know. 
I almost have to say it feels like a three-way tie for me between um, the original Batman movie with Michael Keaton, um, The Dark Knight Rises, which is actually, I like that movie better than The Dark Knight, um, which they're both perfect, but I like, there's just something about Dark Knight Rises that really sticks out to me. And then The Batman. I just think all three of them are really almost perfect movies and just like just super interesting and yeah, I, I just, it's it's almost impossible for me to say. I guess since I've seen the Batman, the most recent, that's my favorite one. But right. they're all just so great. So It's, it's like asking Caleb which say. kid he loves more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. I, I would, yeah, it's an impossible question. Oh, well, some, at some point, Caleb, you and I are going to have to have a sidebar conversation <laughs> about the Schumacher films and, and most okay, specifically would, Batman and Robin. I <sighs> would love. I would love to have that conversation. I, I, I wonder if this I, is I, similar. Point, I, wonder, counterpoint. I wonder if this is similar to the Star Wars prequels, and it just matters what age you were when you saw these things. Um, because, like, for me, that's what Batman and Robin was to the Batman franchise. It was, it was like. But that's Wars interesting movies. you say that because I've actually grown more appreciative of those two Batman movies, uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, since I've been an adult. But it's, it's because I appreciate the campiness of it more. Uh, and maybe that's just my reaction to everything being so grim and dark and serious with superhero movies that it's almost refreshing to go back to something that feels like it was made for children. Well, then you need to go um, back to the 60s, sir, and watch you some Adam <laughs> West. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, you know, I think about this all the time. When I was a kid, I would watch these really dark, gothy Batman episodes you know, that were made for kids. And then I would watch the Adam West show and I appreciated them both equally. Right. And right. so I, I do think there's something valid. I, I can and, share that. I can, I can share in that. I can, I can definitely share. Yeah. Oh, fun, fun fact. Side note. Uh, did y'all notice the Shakespeare bust in uh, the Batman in, in, uh, no. <laughs> in the, it's, it's, it's in Wayne, uh, the mansion. It's in the mansion. Um, and the, the reason for that is because in the 1960s, Adam West, uh, Batman. That was the entrance to the Batcave. It was a Shakespeare bust that the head flipped open and they pressed a you button. You roll the head back yeah. and hit the red button oh. and the, yeah. the doors slide open and Batman well, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson get onto the bat poles and they slide down and somehow when they're at the bottom of the pole in the Batcave, they've completely changed from the civilian globe. Something magical happened in that 12-foot drop <laughs> where they, their clothes just changed. Here's my five-second defense of the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Let's hear it, baby. Uh, we, would, we would not have Kiss from a Rose by Seal without Batman Forever. Oh. So for me, yes, yes. it is 100% worth those movies. Just for that song. That, is, that I love that song. And I couldn't imagine my childhood without listening to those soundtracks. So that, that oh, is yeah. my defense of those films. I think the I think Batman Forever. I think in the credits they play a really great U two song. Yes, that that U two song so, is amazing. And when I saw yeah. when I saw U two, the only time I've seen them live in concert, they came out for their encore, and the first encore song was that song, and it yeah, blew, it blew my mind because it's such a deep cut, and I was just freaking out like my little like yeah. my ten year old inside me was just like <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Well, speaking of soundtracks, I'm going to say the last thing I had written down to say, uh, even though it's off topic, I can do it really quick. We've mentioned Ave Maria. We've mentioned Nirvana and all of that. Uh, Michael Giacchino, 
did the the score for the film and yeah. i love him and think he did a fantastic job with it um and the only other thing i wanted to mention and it's in the vein of the fact that there was a lot of nirvana played in this is at moments i felt like i was in seattle because <laughs> stinking nirvana's playing and does it ever not rain in this gotham <laughs> rainy and dark it's raining the whole movie they, though i, I did that's like gotham. In, uh, that's in the honest trailers yeah. we, we didn't uh, talk about gotham like the city but i did enjoy the way they portrayed the city yes i mean a, a gotham city that is bright and dry is not gotham city it's gotta be <laughs> nasty slushy yeah. dark cloudy well i love I mean, how they it. i love how they melded like new york city but also like elements of chicago and i think they even referenced pittsburgh being like yeah. being like an influence and so you have like this this weird thing happening where you have like uh, Gotham Square Garden, which is obviously Madison Square Garden, but then you have like elevated trains, which aren't that's in Chicago. Yeah. So there's just and the French connection is and uh, there's just so many things going on. It's right. beautiful. Anyway, David Ehrlich of IndieWire wrote in his review that this that a lot of the CGI budget went towards just building the background, so making it look like both like you know a modern day Chicago and New York fused with. Tim Burton sort of gothic doesn't exist in the real world um, right. kind of uh, Gotham City. You know, just almost something from like, you know, like an ancient European city yeah. and modern day New York merge. And I think this Gotham was incredible to look at. Some yeah. of those shots of that, um, the, 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 I guess it's supposed to be uh, uh, time, the Gotham's version of Times Square yeah. is like right. fascinating was crazy. to look yeah. at. Um, beautiful stuff. Well, one of the things I was going to mention was that they did not use a lot, to my knowledge, of green screens in this film. And yeah. so, a lot of practical effects. So the scenes where they're at the building that's under construction and you get these views of the city and the sunset, that was all right, Caleb, screens behind the actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mainly a lot of the CGI, you know, for like the background is just to add like a, you know, uh, you know, whatever ace chemicals or whatever in the background, but like the, the yeah. scenes themselves were shot. I mean, like we're really on location in London, New York, places like that. I thought the car um, chase was incredible. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, the inspiration for the car chase was the French connection, the seventies movie uh, with Gene Hackman. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, I go ahead, Caleb. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was just saying, I'm glad you mentioned that John Mark, because, when I was watching this last night, I was like, ah, this feels kind of French connection-y to me. Yes. And so I'm glad yes. to know that I wasn't crazy. No, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Does anyone have anything else to yeah, add? Yeah, Caleb, is there anything else that we did not talk about that we have to know so about? So many things. Man, I, I think we hit all the highlights. I really do. I was just going to say, man, you guys didn't need me at all. You had great insights into everything. <laughs> And so, have confidence in yourself. You don't need a you don't need a guy that's dedicated tens of thousands of hours to reading cartoons. Caleb's also a motivational uh, speaker in his lifetime. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's great, Jonathan. You had really great, I think, sort of theological insight to the movie, and I just appreciate everybody's contribution. Caleb, whenever the Whenever Terrence Malick finishes his next film, whenever that comes out, we're going to have you oh, back man. on and we're going to talk about it. I have no idea. But, yeah, the movie about, about Jesus, right? Yes, yes. We should. Uh, we oh, should I, loved, I loved your conversation on um, uh, 
um oh gosh i'm pretty uh um tree of life. life the hidden life the uh, uh what is it the the, the malik movie uh a hidden getting it yeah yeah i yeah. thought that was great Thank incredible you. film great conversation so yeah and by the way jonathan since i know you don't want to talk about this you guys can have me back when um when uh when halloween ends comes out this year and i will tell you extensively <laughs> nauseatingly all the details of the halloween movies and why it's the greatest horror franchise of all time <laughs> with a lot of robust theological reflection right oh man oh totally totally well and if y'all want more of that you can check out caleb and his wife's podcast what's it called it's called happily scaried not happily married but happily scaried <laughs> uh, our next episode we're going to try to watch both the, the old drew barrymore Firestarter movie, and then the new one that just came out uh, with uh, Zach Efron, who's my wife's. That's her. That's her biggest crush in Hollywood, <laughs> Zach Efron. So, man, so they, we're going to try to watch those movies next and talk about them. The promotional budget for this new Firestarter movie movie must be massive because it comes yeah. on all the time, and I'm constantly having to tell my two kids. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't watch this trailer for right now. We will watch it when you get older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Beautiful. Well, this was awesome. All right. I really enjoyed it. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed us waxing eloquently for <laughs> two near, hours. Nearly two hours about the most recent Batman movie. That's right. Um, definitely check out Caleb's podcast. Do you have a blog or anything, Caleb? No, I, um, you can find me on Letterboxd. Uh, I think my username there is Babdo Hammer, uh, which is just a funny screen name I came up with when I was playing <laughs> StarCraft with a friend over during the <laughs> pandemic. I wanted to sound something uh, that, you know, gave, uh, gave credence to my Baptist root, but also like I was a, a mighty warrior, Hammer, Babdo Hammer. So that's the... Uh, that's the stupid little name that I, I use as my screen name most places. So, awesome. no blog. Oh, uh, but you can't. I will say this: it's been a while since I've written for him. I've written a little bit for Mockingbird in the past, um, and I I write for this website too called Grindhouse Theology, where we talk about God and horror movies. So, it's been a while since I've written for them too. But if you go search my name on either of those websites, you'll find some of my reflections on stuff like. Uh, the Halloween movies and uh, My Chemical Romance, you know, the greatest <laughs> yes, bands. Yes, that, that's a great blog. That's a great yeah. blog. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Caleb, thank you so much. We hope that everybody enjoyed listening to this conversation. If uh, Email us your thoughts. Yeah, the new Batman about movie. the new Batman film. Or another film you'd like to hear us who know nothing about film uh, talk about. That's right. Reach out to us at midweek at shadesvalley.org because it's Shades Midweek. You're part of the conversation.